Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And our text this morning will be verses 12 and 13. If you were there Thursday night, you, you know that already. As we looked at that passage quickly on Thursday night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let's go to prayer before we tackle this text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And again, we thank you for giving it to us so that we might know you. If you had not given us your word, we would recognize that you exist and that we would see your power and glory, but we certainly would not know who you were and what you would expect from us. And so we praise and thank you that we have your word to guide us and to teach us. And so again, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would teach us, illuminate the truths of the word to us, and that you might convict us, that you might build us up and teach us so that we might be more in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ as we go from here this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. Now, as I alluded to earlier, the church reflects the head. In other words, we are, we are Christ's body and therefore we should be acting like Christ. We should be reflecting who we are in and therefore you would expect that the Bible would tell us a lot about how the church is to function. In other words, the church is just not a free-for-all where we all get saved and then we decide Uh, kind of by committee or by doing our own thing, how the church is to function. And as Paul comes to this text this morning, he is going to be dealing with relationships in the church. In fact, he's going to be dealing with relationships all the way basically to the end of the, of the book is he's going to start giving us the staccato of exhortations on how we are to behave. But he's not just interested in how the individual behaves, he's interested in how we behave corporately as we come together. And so as he comes to this text then, he wants to tell us how we are to behave when we come together. How how are we to function together for the glory of God? And one of the things that we will discover is that the, the church's health And the way that it is ultimately going to grow will be dependent greatly upon the relationship between the congregation and the leadership. In other words, there has to be a healthy relationship between the leadership and the congregation for the congregation to grow. In other words, for the church to be all that it can be. And if that relationship is always adversarial, if it is distant, if it is in any way cut off, then the church suffers. And when the sheep don't trust the leadership and the leadership don't, doesn't trust the sheep, and when the sheep 
are, are uh, upset with the shepherd and the shepherd's upset with the sheep, you end up with just a whole lot of trouble. And people are so focused on, on each other that they're never looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to make sure that as we come together, we recognize the way the Lord has called us to function. And if we do that, then we will have a healthy church and it will function correctly. And so Paul is going to deal with that. Again, we recognize that Paul began back in chapter 3 in telling us about the things that are lacking in your faith. And so part of that explanation is to, to tell us things that we don't know or to tell us things that we need to improve on in order to be living out our faith as we should. And so Paul is going to do it in this section as he now switches the idea from the end times and how we are to behave in light of that. He's going to say, now that you know that you're here until I come, here's how you need to be behaving together corporately. And so he's going to put that together in this verse. Now you'll notice as he begins this, he says, but we request of you. But, starting a new section, a new idea, we request of you. And the idea here is Paul is really coming alongside. He's, not, he's making a request as a friend. He's not coming in over the top as, as, as someone with a huge authority where he's trying to come over top of them. But he is coming alongside of them. And he says, as a friend, I'm making this request of you. Brethren, and again, he gives that horizontal uh, connection where we are brothers because we are all in Christ. In other words, we have a common heritage. We come, we are all born of God, and therefore we are in this together. And he says, I want, I want you, I, I request of you, I plead, I implore. But again, we know that when he does this, He's also expecting that you will, what, take the plead, right? He's not, just because he's being nice doesn't mean that he doesn't actually expect that what he says shouldn't be followed, right? Because when a parent says, please clean your room, what are they saying, right? So, so it, it, it's nice, but guess what? It needs to be done. And so Paul comes alongside here tenderly, as he calls them to do what they need to do. Now he says, we request of you, we ask of you, we plead of you. And now he's going to give us really three things that he's going to, re two requests and really a third one, exhortation for how we are to be responsible to the leadership in the church. How are we to treat them? Now you'll notice this. He starts here in verse 12 with two that clauses. I request what? That you appreciate those who diligently labor, that, that you appreciate them. And then verse 13, that you esteem them. And he says, here are two, two requests that I have for you. And then he gives them a charge at the end of the verse, live in peace with one another. And so there's really three, three ideas here. Three, we would call them uh, requests that he gives to the church at Thessalonica. And he says, you need to do these things. In other words, you need to do these three requests 
in order to have a healthy church. This is what's required of you. If you will follow these three, then the relationships within the church will be where they should be, and the church will grow spiritually. And so he says, follow these three, do these three. I request that you do these. So Paul says, first of all, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Now notice this, he just says this word, those. Those. Well, that's a plural word, right? So we know right away, what is he expecting here? That there's more than one. In other words, there should be more than one person that fits this category. There are, there are those within the congregation who act this way. Now again, he's speaking about leadership in the church, and so the implication is, is that there should be more than one elder in the church. Uh, a church that is fully developed, a church that is grown to maturity, will have multiple elders in it in order to guard the safety of the church and the doctrine of the church. It keeps the one man from becoming the what? The grand poopaw. He's the guy who has all the power. He tells everybody what to do and everybody must follow him. The church was never meant to be that way. It's meant to have a college of elders that are to rule the church spiritually, but they are not to be alone. So you're going to say, but pastor, that's not where we're at. That's true. But, get, but that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. We are trying to raise up men to be in leadership who are elder qualified to lead with. So we would, we would say at this point, we are biblically unorganized because we are in that process of finding those who are qualified to be elders. So we're not there yet, but we're trying to get there. Believe me, I'm trying to give it away. <laughs> I, I don't want it all, okay? So he says, we request that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. So the those are now going to be defined. Those that you're supposed to uh, appreciate are, will be de defined here by three phrases. He says, brethren, appreciate. So what do we mean by appreciate? Well, I think every, the word here is actually oida, to know. And the idea often is, scholars have debated this quite a bit, as to what does he mean to know? And in fact, they have most scholars and most of the Bibles that you read outside of the New American Standard, what grieves me, says that you are to recognize your, your leaders. You are to acknowledge them. In other words, there's a tendency within the church to not want to have authority and leadership. There's a tendency in the church to say, I don't think I should have to follow anyone. After all, I have the Holy Spirit. I have my Bible. Why should I follow? And so there's a tendency not to want to follow it. Now, I want you to think about the Thessalonians. How old is this church? Six months. Now, 
Imagine being in a church where you were all saved in the last six months. And you are a businessman. You're a leader, right? You, ha- you run your own company. And you get to church. And the janitor is starting to say to you, hey, you know what? You're spending a little bit too much time in entertainment and not enough time working in the church. And your response is, <laughs> don't tell me what to do. Who are you? Right? And so you can imagine as this church begins, there's going to be, there's going to be a, a tendency to look at one another and say, you don't have any authority over me. I'm a, I've been a Christian as long as you. How dare you tell me what to do? And Paul says, actually, you need to appreciate or recognize those who have a leadership, those who who are qualified to be leading you. Now, I would say this: the word I, I, has the can have the idea of to know and appreciate, and it can have the idea of actually you, you need to know who these people are, and the fact is you might have to, the only way you're actually going to know these people is if you get to know them. In other words, it's going to take some work to get to know them. And so there's a part of this that is also saying, listen, I want you to know them because you need to know who they are. How do you know if they work hard if you don't know anything about them, if you're not familiar with them? How do you know any of these qualities if you've never spent any time to try to get to know the person. Now remember, he says, get to know those. He doesn't say, get to know about something about them. Get to know them. And so Paul is saying, listen, you need to recognize and respect and honor those who have these qualities. Now notice this, he does not say, I want you to notice this, He does not say, I want you to recognize the merit or the validity of the leadership of these people and then say, I want you to notice and appreciate and recognize the elders or the deacons. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I want you to recognize an office. He says, I want you to recognize the people by the way that they function. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, appreciate the elders. He says, appreciate the way the people who function like this, and because they function like this, this should ultimately tell you who they are, and therefore, you need to recognize the authority that comes with this function. So he says, then, here are three things that we look for. He says this, appreciate, recognize those who diligently labor among you. He says there's going to be 
There's going to, here's what we look for. Here's how these people function. The reason you recognize their authority and the re- reason you need to know who they are is because what? Because they diligently work among you. They diligently work among you. These are the ones who, now you'll notice this. This is this word for, for work here is the word that Paul often uses when he talks about speaking or working with his hands. He says, I, I worked as a tent maker. I worked, I worked hard. I, was, I labored with my hands. I, and, and you would say this, that Paul, Paul worked in a difficult place. He would have had um, calluses on his hands as a tent maker. He, would have, he worked hard. He did long hours. And he worked not to be a burden on anyone so that he could do ministry. And so Paul, Paul set the example working day and night. And again, it wasn't that he worked 24 hours, but that he, there was times that he worked at night, times he worked during the day in order not to be a burden. But here, Paul is not using this about physical labor. He's talking about ministry, about those who would minister in the gospel. And he says... And it is, the verb here has the idea of gospel ministry. This is what he talks about in Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also what? I labor. Same verb. Same verb as we used in, in 5.12. He says, we labor according to his power and the mighty, that mightily works within us. And so Paul says, I, I am laboring in ministry. This is where my labor is. All right. And he, and he it further qualifies it with, with this idea here at the end of the phrase. Among you. Among you. He is. Therefore, his labor is what? Among the believers, among the church people. All right? So we would say this. He is not saying, find anybody in the congregation who works really, really, really hard and follow him. He doesn't say, there's a guy in your congregation that works 100 hours as a lawyer every week. That's your man. He's saying the labor that is taking place is labor that is among you. It's among the church. In other words, his labor is for the church, not for himself, not for his business, not for some profit, but for what? For the good of the church. So you say, well, that's good. I'm I'm glad he's supposed to labor. But he says, How do we do that? How, how, what does that look like? What does it look like to labor hard how, what, among them? Well, Paul explains it in the next phrases. He says this, labor among you and what? Have charge over you in the Lord. Have charge over you in the Lord. So they labor to exhaustion. Why? Because they have charge over you in the Lord. Literally, it means 
to uh, to be placed over you or to be put to put in front, to stand in front or put before. And the idea is you're you're up front because you're leading. Whether you are you are directing or whether people are following. But it also comes with the idea of to care for. So there's a double double idea with this word. It's to lead, but also to care for. In other words, there's the idea of giving direction and oversight, but also the idea of caring for those under your care. This word is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. It says, he, an overseer, or, or a pastor, or an elder, they're all the same, same guy, must be one who manages, all right, his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to what manage his own house, he, how will he take care of the church of God? So there's this idea of managing, of caring, of, of having an interest in those who are underneath you. So it combines the idea of authority and care. And he says, look at those who manage the church and take care of those who have a, they have an authority over, but also take care of. In other words, these men are, are those who are continually doing what is best for the church. Now notice this. I wrestled with this phrase. He says they have authority or or they have control over you charge over you in the lord in the lord in other words there is a sphere in which they operate and they are they operate in the sphere of the lord in other words they operate under the lordship of the lord jesus christ therefore what they do is not because they're self-appointed, but because they are in the Lord himself. The Lord is Lord of them, and therefore they are, have been brought to this place, not by self-appointment, not by some structure in the church, but simply because they have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the one who has called them to this. And certainly that, that pours out in the fact that we would say this, their authority is within the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their authority doesn't go beyond what the Lord Jesus Christ has given to them. And so their authority is exercised under the Lord Jesus Christ. And that authority ultimately uh, is limited to that sphere and to that authority. And yet there is a certain sense in which we recognize them because those who, exer- who ha- are he- in this position are there because they have been called by God. He, he is the one who has appointed them and therefore we need to respect them. We need to recognize them because they are not self-appointed. Which means anyone who is in leadership who becomes an elder, needs to make sure that what? They're in the Lord. 
They have to be saved. They have to have his call upon their life. This is not something that anybody can get to just because they want it. And you need to make sure that as you appoint elders that you recognize that it is God's hand in their life that is bringing them to leadership, not their own desire for power. Paul says, we request, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. Those, how do they diligently labor? They have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And give you instruction. Literally, this word means instruction means to place in the mind. But it has the idea also to warn or to give notice beforehand. And it's interesting because this is not the normal word for teaching, didasco. It's not the word teaching. It is a word that has the idea of instructing, but also correcting. And so the idea here is not just one of teaching. It's not just giving positive truth. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to, you need to love the Lord. But also one of saying, you're doing that wrong. This is, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to be doing. This, this word is often translated admonish. And it's in 1 Corinthians 4.14. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Colossians 1.28, again, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So there's going to be a correcting in behavior. And he says... These are the people you need to recognize. These are the ones that you need to see as God's leaders within the church. The church is not a free-for-all. But there are men in the church who, as you look around and as you get to know them, you recognize they labor hard in the church. In fact, the word labor here has the idea of, of laboring to exhaustion. They work to the, to the point where they are exhausted in the things of the Lord. Now, we want to say that there is a limit there. We don't want people to work themselves to death. I think God has also given us sleep. But the idea is that they work hard and diligently at ministry. And they do that exercising authority, doing what is best for the individuals in the church as they instruct them in the word of God and give them correction in the things where they are falling short. And Paul says to this Thessalonian church, listen, there's a sense in which you guys are saying to one another, I'm not following you. Why should you have authority over me? Why should I follow and Paul says, actually, here's how you know who to follow. And, and you need to recognize that there is authority within the church. It's a spiritual authority, but nevertheless, it is an authority that is given to certain people. And they earned it because God has appointed them there. 
and they have demonstrated through their function who they are. We need to recognize that, first of all, an elder becomes an elder not by giving an office, but by functioning like one. And I can say this, if your leadership in your church is slow and your leadership is, doesn't go at the pace that you think, if you are truly an elder, you will function like one whether you have an office or not. And the reality is, is that people will follow you and recognize your authority regardless if you have an office. And ultimately, you should never get into an office until people recognize who you are. We do not promote at Bowmanville Baptist Church on potential. You need to be this man. If you want to be an elder, you need to function as an elder. And if you get the office and you don't function, you simply will be removed. Because Paul expects that elders, what? Function. There's no such thing as an elder who sits on the board and and just simply makes decisions in a boardroom. He must be gifted at teaching and he must function in in this way. And I think... Inside this, the implications are, if he is to instruct, which means I will instruct you in the word of God and I will correct you from the word of God, he has to have the gift of teaching, otherwise he can't do that. And so Paul says, this is who you should recognize as having authority in the church. Don't all try to be leaders recognized by those who are functioning who is worthy to be followed. And again, I would say this, you probably won't know who they are unless you know who they are. You need to, you actually need to know your leaders. You need to be in among them enough to know who they are, right? The shepherd is called to know his sheep, but the sheep are also called to what? Know their shepherds, right? And, and I want to make this clear. This is not for, the head, for the, what I call the head talking piece up front. This is not just for the speaking pastor. This is for every man that gets on the board. You need to know them, and you need to respect their spiritual authority, right? The pastor just happens to have a little bit more of what we would call a public ministry that is seen but he in a in a functioning church he's just one of he's just one of well paul says recognize those those leaders recognize their authority recognize who they are know them and then he says this Secondly, not only are you to recognize them, but you are to esteem them. He says, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so he says, this, this idea here again, 
um, has the idea of first to put before your mind or picture. And then the idea is beyond measure, very highly. The idea is without limit. You are, you are to think highly of those who function that way. It is, again, super abundantly surpassing beyond measure that you think well of them. In fact, he, he now says, how am I to esteem them? How am I to think of them highly? He says, in the manner of what? Of love, in love. You are to love them. You are to, to put your love upon them. You are to choose to love them. You are to choose to do what is best for them. You are choose to love them regardless of how lovable the individual is. You are to put your, which is comforting, <laughs> right? It's easy to, to resent. It's easy to choose not to do what's right for those who have called you on your sin, who are less than perfect, and he says, you are to do this, you are to esteem them and to, and to have before your mind the idea of putting them up high and having a high affection for them because of their work. Not because he's a great guy, not because he's personable, not because he's your cup of tea, but because of his work. In other words, you recognize the value of what he does. It is because what they do in the Lord's work, you need to be willing to put your affections and your love and to put that into practice because you recognize the value of what he does. You recognize that spiritual things are of most value. And if he is bringing you the truth of the word of God, and if he, is, if he is working hard among you to make sure that you grow spiritually, and he keeps the church growing spiritually, you recognize that that is the most important thing in the world. There's nothing more important than the spiritual growth of the individuals in the church and the, and the church itself. And so you're, you recognize that this is what's valuable. It's not the money in the bank. It's not a great job. It's not influence. The idea is spiritual growth is primary. And you recognize that this ministry given by the Lord is more important than anything else. And so you value it because you recognize the value of the ministry. And therefore, you hold them at high value. Which means you give them honor, you give them respect. You make it so that they can do their ministry. You have affections in your heart because you recognize as imperfect as they are. They are, they are performing the ministry that is necessary for the church's health and for your health. One writer says, you esteem your elders, your pastors, and you esteem them with, your esteem for them has no limits. 
whatever level of appreciation you have now, increase it in love. You are to love them because what they do. And if you do not, you are in disobedience to the direct words of Scripture. That love means you seek their best. That love means you overlook their weakness and frailties, not their sin. That love means you speak well of them. That love means you encourage them. That love means you lift them up as called men of God who have brought to you the truth. I would say this, Bowmanville, you've done that. You've done that in spades. Praise the Lord for you. You have done that in spades. But Paul says, do more. Not me, Paul. (laughs) Okay? I'm already embarrassed. All right? Paul says, esteem them highly. Well, there's a third thing that Paul says here. He says, live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. Now, there, most scholars put this with this section, and I, I would agree with them. That's why I quote them. Otherwise, I would just ignore them. <laughs> but the idea here is, he puts this exhortation right out in the end of verse 13. And it's, I think he's referring here to the leadership. And he's describing the interpersonal relationships that, that take place between the leadership and the sheep. He's calling for the brothers and sisters in the congregation to enjoy and cultivate peace between those in the church who have frictions with the leadership. For those who, we would say this, those who enjoy the frictions of correction from the eldership and benefit from those functions. In other words, ministry can be messy business. It can be unpleasant. Right? It's easy to stand up here and preach And to say this, thus saith the Lord, this is what we need to do. But it's not pleasant and it's not nice when we have to deal with people and correct them. When we have to go to them and say, listen, this is wrong. You can't be doing this. This is what the word of God says on this. It's never fun to confront. And yet we're called to do that. And we do it not because we love, love conflict, but because we love the result that comes from it for those who obey, for those who obey the word of God. And you can see how this is difficult. Because leaders at their best are imperfect. I should have sat you down for that. Right? They're imperfect. They're human. They make mistakes. And they will make mistakes. There will be minutes, moments where they're, where they're ignorant of things. There's things where they, ignore, where they ignore things. Sometimes they make misapplications. Sometimes there's misunderstandings. 
And so you can see miscommunications. You can see how difficult it can be at times to take correction from someone who's not perfect. Right? And there can be, after a while, animosity that builds up. Where you start to resent those who correct you because you think they're meddling. And you say, yeah, well, maybe I did do that. But where were you when I was feeling this way? How did you miss that? Or I saw the way that you ignored that question or the way you treated that person. How dare you correct me, right? Take the log out of your own eye, right? Before you come take my speck, right? And so there can be a tendency for us to what? Resent. To, to have frictions. This is the danger sometimes of having small Bible studies in a church. It can be one of the risks is that we get little groups together and they start to have their own little church meeting and then they have their own little judge and jury and it gets off track and the next thing you know, they're saying, we're, we're standing in opposition to the leadership because guess what? They're expecting us to do that, no way. And they're not perfect, look what they did. And it can be hard. And he says, actually, cultivate, cultivate peace. It's a priority of the church. It pro- should be a priority of ours. You might even say that Paul is saying this. People, submit to that leadership. Live in peace. In other words, don't keep fighting them. If, they're, if they are following the word of God, regardless of where it goes, you need to what? Submit to that leadership. You need to, you need to be willing to go along. Now, I want to just clarify that. I want, we're never saying you go along with sin. Okay? If they're calling you to sin, you don't follow. But there are going to be times where your leadership are going to make mistakes. They're going to make decisions that they might regret later on. They might have misunderstandings, but yet God still calls you to what? Be at peace and follow. And so we need to have that submissive heart to that leadership. Hebrews speaks to to that in Hebrews chapter 13. He says in verse 7, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And then when he drops down further on, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. And then he says this, Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. In other words, there needs to be a recognition that you can make life difficult if you are constantly fighting with your leadership. 
you do not want to take as your badge of honor that you're the one who always holds leadership accountable. You're the one who is always, shall we say, sticking up for the little guy. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. Because you are to be what? Allowing your leadership to work with joy and not with grief. In other words, there's the sense in which you need to live at peace. You need to foster those relationships with them so that they're not adversarial. And the only way you're really going to be able to do that is if you, if you recognize who they are and you recognize the ministry that they do and that it is in God's name. And when you value that, then you will be able to live in peace with them because you will recognize that God has called flawed people to the ministry, yet there is a real spiritual authority that must be understood and followed, and you must, therefore, make those relationships amicable. And if you truly value the, the ministry of the word and the correction of the word, then you will find that those corrections, rather than being something that causes division and animosity, will cause your love to grow for them. Your love will grow because you will recognize this is for my good. So Paul says, listen, this is how the church is to function. This is not just, the church is not a free-for-all. It's not something that, that just is kind of organic and we just all get together. He says, God has placed within the church those who need to be recognized because of what their function is, held in high esteem, and therefore submitted to and followed because God has ordained that the church is to function this way. And he says, if you want a healthy church, if you want a church that functions as God's intended it to do, and that the church will be a place that is safe to go to, and it's a, a, a place where you will grow spiritually, he says, this must be in order. And if it's not, the church will not grow as it should. It can never reach its potential. It will never be a good bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has said, my church must reflect this structure in it. And so Paul says, congregation, are you doing these things to the leadership? Are you recognizing who they are? Are you valuing that ministry and are you submitting to them? And he says, if you do, if you do, then the church will grow and will, and will be everything that God has intended it to be. And in essence, Paul also says, you're doing well. 
do more, do better. Continue, strive for this. Keep this in your, in the, in your mind so that the church might be a place of spiritual blessing. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We again thank you for its clarity. And I pray that you would continue to make us a church that values the things that you value. We praise and thank you that you have ordained the way that your church should function that you have given us a way to even to measure how that church should function within this passage, that we recognize who has spiritual authority over us in the Lord and how we are to respond to them. So I pray that you would put it in each one of our hearts to do exactly as you have commanded in your word, that we might be pleasing to you, I pray in your name. Amen.